Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I'm your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined once again by my friend and colleague, Kyle Matoski. Hi, Kyle. Hello, hello. So, Kyle, you came with me on a trip last year to the Next.js conference. I bring you when I feel like I need more technical firepower. I can't fake my way through this interview with just with my journalistic chops. So today, we are, have the privilege of chatting with someone um, who uh, is an experienced software developer and also a member of the Python Steering Council, and we're excited to dig deep into some of what that means and what's going on with that language, which, Kyle, you recently have been teaching yourself. Do I get that right? Yeah, I've been picking it up, and it's been a joy to work with so far, so super happy to talk to folks who are shaping it. Yeah, it seems like one everybody wants in their arsenal these days. So it's going to be a two-part episode. So we will publish uh, the first part today, Friday, and the second part will come out Tuesday of next week. Hope you enjoy. Without further ado, Pablo Salgado, welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Hello. uh, Thank you very much for having me. So let's hear a little bit about you. What was your journey into the world of, of software engineering? And then more specifically, how did you end up focusing on Python and joining the steering council? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of folks will be surprised to know that I'm actually not a software engineer, I'm a physicist. I mean, I, I work as a software engineer <laughs> for sure, but uh, I'm a uh, infiltrated uh, software engineer, let's say. So I actually started in the world of programming as part of my physics education. Um, interestingly, most physics, at least from my time, uh, we are teach uh, Fortran uh, as the first language. Uh, so that's like Old an interesting, <laughs> interesting introduction into the worlds of uh, programming. Also, not modern Fortran, like a lot of people may be using today, is Fortran 77. But yes, that was interesting. And then after that, um, when I was doing my PhD in uh, rotating black holes, one of the things that uh, we needed to do a lot when you know you, the equations become too complicated, which is most of the time, then you need to uh, do some simulations uh, just to have some pretty pictures because that's what people like. People don't like equations that are pretty pictures. And uh, for that, you need to code. Uh, that's the only way, apparently. And um, I used to code a lot in C, C++, and CUDA, which uh, for like four or five years ago, nobody knew what it meant. But now with all the AI stuff, everybody knows what it is. So that's kind of cool. And after that, I switched from uh, academia uh, to um, computer science when I joined Bloomberg. And since then, I've been uh, at Bloomberg working in the Python infrastructure team, basically ensuring that our uh, more than 8,000 developers in the company can have the best experience using Python. But I've been, for a long time, been an extreme fan of open source. And I've been, since uh, I switched to from uh, my PhD to Bloomberg, I've been like contributing a lot to open source, in particular center on Python. So I started, you know, making the classic PR to the documentation. And there was a typo in the documentation. And that is true. That was my first PR <laughs> into Python. Uh, some missing import in some docs. Best and it's been door. a ride since then, I suppose. People really like my typo corrections, apparently. But yeah, out of the joke, I've been like centering my efforts mainly on the Python parser and the Python compiler. Actually, I've been directing together with Guido and other core developers uh, one of the major overhauls in Python when we switched the old parser for the new parser, which uh, unblocks a bunch of the new features that you are seeing in the recent versions. And since then, I've been trying to um, try to help a lot with the direction of the language. And I became uh, part of the Python Steering Council three years ago. Uh, and I've been also having different other uh, positions in the Python team. Like, for instance, I've been uh, the release manager of Python 3.10 and 
which sounds very uh, flashy, but it's just the person who pushes the buttons to get the binaries out, which uh, is, is not like the most fashionable job. But someone needs to do it and from yeah. time to time is, is good. I mean, if you push the buttons and things don't work, then you're responsible. So obviously you go, you have to have a lot of confidence right. to do that. One time we actually broke GitHub, um, by the way. We renamed uh, Master to Main in one of the releases <laughs> and GitHub gave us a, a 500 and it was down for quite a while. And it's recorded, uh -oh. like we have that mm -hmm. recorded. So they knew it was us. I wonder if that's just because they do so many swaps behind the scenes. I want to follow up on one of the things you said, which was you started just doing typo docs PRs, which I love. I tell people all the time, if you want to get into open source, that's that's the entry point for a lot of people. I've done tons of PRs to a lot of different repos, and it's always just scratching my own itch. And those are always received so positively and warmly. So I think it's such a good entry point for folks, especially who might not feel like they have the understanding of the whole code base yet, but they can make an incremental improvement on things. What is the journey like going from doing a typo fix to updating core? Because I feel like that's that's the you know <laughs> then you're drawing an owl part that I don't really understand. Uh, I'm still in I'm still in typo fix land. It feels quite a lot of drawing the all, and uh, at some point you, you know how to do it, and then you just forget how how it was done. Um, but no, and actually, let me add something regarding uh, what you just said, which I think is quite important for people that are listening to us and are thinking about doing open source. This type of fixes and this kind of like fixes to documentation, it not only is a very good opportunity to start, but also people that are starting are the best because for us that we have been working quite a lot with the project, we read the documentation in a different way, right? We already know these things and we don't notice that, uh, well, if there is information missing or something is not clear or something is assuming that you also know some other part. So if you come to the docs and then you say, I don't understand this, you are the best person to tell us, hey, uh, we need to change this. And if you also do it, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, but yes, answering a bit your question, I think uh, the key here is um, uh, being very passionate. That's one of the ingredients. Uh, as a uh, physicist and mathematician, I would like to say that it's necessary but not sufficient. But the other thing I think, for me at least, it was fundamental as well, is having very good mentors, right? Like in my journey, when I started contributing from that typo, I started to meet a lot of the people in the core dev team. And uh, a lot of them actually have become not only very good friends, but um, very good mentors. And they have teach me almost everything I know in open source. And they have always like supported me and pointed me to resources and things. And that was very important for me as well, because, you know, coming as a, a physicist, I knew how to code, but a lot of the more computer science-y concepts were missing. But, you know, it's, it's something that you can certainly do. I now maintain the parser of one of the biggest programming languages in the world. So it's certainly possible, if, even if you don't know anything about parsers, to become a parser expert in time if you put, like, you know, uh, effort into it. So um, I suppose that drawing the all involves, yeah, passion, a lot of good people, and enjoying what you do. Because at the end, this is uh, nobody pay us for doing this thing, or at least in theory. <laughs> Right, uh, right. So, you know, at the end of the day, we are doing this thing because we love uh, what open source gives to the world and we like to contribute back. And that kind of is the fuel to to keep going. So I yeah. think at least these three things uh, are needed. Then every person will have their own things that, you know, they motivate them or why they are doing it. And all of them, most of them, uh, I would say they are always valid. So you need to find also what makes you happy in, in open source because otherwise it can be a bit challenging mentally, right? At the end of the day, it's almost like a second job or a second job if you put yourself deep enough and uh, it's an unpaid one so better you have some some fuel going on there uh, in my case is is you know it's learning things and, and friends and uh, this is uh, also a very good opportunity for me to 
uh, work with things that otherwise it could be very difficult to to um, work with, right? Like, what is the last time you find a, a job that allows you to, you know, change something like the partial of the compiler of a major programming language? So that only happens mostly in open source these days. So you mentioned a few times, yeah, it's kind of like having two jobs, one of which doesn't pay. Is there like an overlap or a synergy between them? You mentioned that you feel like your role at Bloomberg is ensuring everybody there gets the most out of Python and is able to work with it. Are you taking feedback from them and then incorporating that into the open source work or vice versa? Like, you know, helping them understand the roadmap of where things are headed and therefore that it can kind of inform, you know, the direction that they're going to push their next set of technologies inside Bloomberg? Right, that's an excellent question. With time, this uh, synergy has become like deeper and deeper to the point that right now I'm quite happy to say that Bloomberg gives me 50% of my work time to also work in open source in CPython and uh, some of the efforts that we are doing in collaboration, for instance, with Microsoft and I collaborate with them and I have some, some time to do other things. So that's one of the sources of synergy. Uh, the reason that, that this is a deal that can be made uh, involves a lot of trust from obviously my employer. So I have a good track that, you know, like the, I know what I'm doing and, you know, it makes sense. But also it's interesting because Bloomberg for a long time has been a, a C++ house, right? Like it was as a finance company, um, very focused on, you know, high performance and uh, with the kind of data ingestion that we have, we for a long time have been using C++ almost exclusively. But right now, for instance, we, we are like, we have even more Python than C++, I would say, or at least half-half. And we are very deeply involved in the Python world, both as consumers and producers. Um, so for instance, we not only give resources to the Python community, not, not only, you know, economic resources, but also time to work in, in C Python, for instance, in my case, but also we provide some of the tooling that now is used in the in the Python community, like some libraries that we have done, like PyStack and Membray that are profilers and debuggers that right now are quite popular. Yeah. I think the key point here is that you I suppose you need to convince your employer that that is something <laughs> that makes sense, which is the right. drawing an old part of this deal. Yeah. I think what you say is really interesting. And, you know, I've heard this before from other folks who were essentially recruited into a company or because of their passion for something, their work in open source is super valuable to the company for a lot of reasons. As you say, you can then, you know, be sort of on top of the technology, not just what's coming down the pipe, but like you say, almost guiding where it's going. And then I think it's an incredible recruiting tool. You know, like people love to come to a place where they feel like they're contributing to something as part of their work that's part of the broader open source ecosystem. You know, the same way it is with like Facebook and React or Go. You know, like that is, I think, a big draw for technical talent. So it's a wise employer who gives the right employees, you know, that freedom to, to do that. Absolutely. And, and we see it. Like, for instance, one of the things I've been pushing quite a lot these this last years is that we release new versions of Python on the day of the official release upstream. So when, when I, for instance, release upstream 3.11, I also release it inside and there is things that jump into the new version immediately. And, you know, uh, because, because also Bloomberg is quite an old company and, you know, the, the, we used to have this... Uh, a fame of like, you know, using all technologies and whatnot and Fortran and all of these things. Like right now we have people that are interviewing with us that are super excited because it's say, well, I'm, I'm choosing Bloomberg because I know that you're using the latest Python on day one when most of the tech giants are still in 3.8 or 3.10, right? Like, um, right. So, so that's, as you say, a very good point and becomes quite important for uh, other parts of the company. Yes. Do you have usage metrics for how many people are using Python 2? 
I'm sure it's not zero. Yes, uh, it's not <laughs> zero. And uh, something even worse, we used to have like a fork of Python 2, but that, that's gone right now or mostly gone. But I, I'm happy to say that it's very, very few. Like I think it's on the dozens um, and it's just, you know, the kind of critical thing that nobody wants to touch and it's just fine. But certainly those people need quite a lot of exceptions. But yes, uh, right now, I think the oldest version that we are dealing with right now is 3.5 uh, in the sense that we allow people to use any version, but we give the same guarantees as upstream so they they are you know open to be on 3.5 until we just drop support uh, but 2.7 is almost almost gone it's still certainly not gone but, but but we were close so i'm quite happy um as ben mentioned at the top of the pod last year i learned python when we interview folks we allow them to use any language that they want right like it's not important that you match we're kind of a net backend javascript typescript frontend shop but it's not important to us if you have a different background, as long as you can kind of relay programming concepts and idioms. And so I was uh, conducting a lot of interviews at the time, and I had a lot of people using Python. And so I talked to my manager, and uh, we made it one of my goals to kind of pick up Python last year, just so I could be more comfortable in these interviews. Mm. It's kind of easy to read and grok things at a distance, but I want to know, hey, are you using conventions that kind of seem, all these that were Pythonic, right? Right. And uh, (laughs) learning that was just a joy. Right. That was a really great experience. It was a great community and very welcoming. What I wanted to kick to you is to what extent is that at like a very intentionally crafted, designed experience that this is a language that is available to beginners to pick up from like uh, where, mm. where do you put that intention into it from the language perspective, from the framework, from the docs, from the community? What important pieces do you make this to make it as beginner friendly as possible? Because it does seem like it has that kind of tact to it where not all languages carry that. Right, right. I suppose one of the things I want to clarify, depending on the person you ask from the Python community, they may give you a different answer. And that is very important. Like for instance, being on the Steam Council, we need to take care that these different answers are taken into account. Like for instance, what people enjoy about or find it easy to uh, work with other big companies different from someone that is using Python for education and both answers will be valid. Uh, regarding your, your if, if my opinion in particular, um, so there are technical aspects of the language itself and from a language design point of view that make the language easy to read at least or easy to reason about. And this is quite like technical, I would say, um, although there is a kind of a way to explain it. So from a lot of time, the way the language could evolve was quite restricted. Um, this is because uh, the language was using a kind of parser that is called an LL1 parser. So this parser, I mean, we are not going to out of details, but the idea here is that the parser is restricted to make sense of what is happening just by reading the next token. So if you are in a for loop, uh, you can only know what what you are doing. You're just reading what is next. Um, this is not true in most languages. Actually, it's very rare to find a language that is has this property. Python is not an L1 anymore since we changed the parser, but the language, like most of the language, was shaped by an L1 parser. So uh, what is very easy to read for one of these simple parsers is also very easy to read for a human. And mm-hmm. that is quite important. When you're reading Python, not only there is this English-like feeling, right? Like almost, you know, people like to describe this as almost reading uh, pseudocode. But also there is this idea that when you're reading it, you know what is happening, you know the programming construct you are uh, dealing with just by reading the next word. And that is that is fundamental. So we had this artificial constraint or this early constraint that we needed to make it easy to read for a computer. 
And the corollary to that was it became easy to read for humans. And now one exactly. of the things you've done is it upgraded the parser so that constraints are no longer there, but the language features are already baked. So like exactly. you have that uh, legacy of readability baked into it. That's cool. Yeah. And it was a lot of discussion when we did that change to ensure that, you know, we didn't lose that. And that was always seen as a good thing. And right now, uh, every time we change the language, we have this kind of thinking about like, okay, so how how much are we deviating from, from this idea? But you can still preserve that without the technical barrier. And the technical barrier also, as you can imagine, imposes you some constraints that you don't really like. So it's not always good ones. And even if like something that feels like very easy to read as a human, maybe it's not that easy to read as, a, as for a machine. And you need to, as a language designer, know when is a good time to use the extra power that your uh, parser has in particular. But on the other hand, uh, that's kind of the, the language properties. But on the other hand, there is like this idea for a long time, a cultural idea that, that Python should be very easy to read and it should feel very straightforward. And that has been also incorporating in how people write Python itself. So when you read Python, there is this idea of if something is Pythonic or not, which has been abused quite a lot, I have to say. So what people, there is not a singular answer to what is Pythonic, but like, you know, different people have different ideas and that's fine. I want to say that that's fine. We, yeah. we, we think that there is not a single answer here, but in general, people care about it and that's important. I don't want to imply that, let's say, C++ developers don't care about it. I'm sure they, they are. But like, you know, the language then imposes some other things. And obviously you have like a three templatized class. It's not going to be super easy to read for a beginner, but that's more maybe on the language than on the person writing. But it's very important that for a long time, culturally, we have this idea of like, no, no, Python has to be still be a language for people learning. And that's important for us. And also culturally, there was this idea of developing these programming concepts and idioms and like how we do things in Python that has been always like resonating with how we also develop the language in uh, in the core team just to maintain that feeling. And, uh, but there's still different people obviously will have uh, different yeah. ideas over what is simple and what is not. We can give the caveat, you know, that these are your opinions and not uh, necessarily the views of the entire core team. I think the perspective is valuable. Certainly it doesn't mean... It's all one size fits all. Right. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. And of course, thanks to Pablo for coming on. Um, It is that time of the show. We want to shout out someone who came on Stack Overflow and helped to spread a little knowledge or ask a great question. The Inquisitive Badge awarded three hours ago to Trevor. Ask a well-received question on 30 separate days and maintain a positive question record. So Trevor, thanks for coming on Stack Overflow and being so curious, I see he's got, yeah, a few points here for Python. Swift, iOS, JavaScript, and Python. He wants to learn about all of them. Well done, Trevor. Yeah, we'll link it in the show notes. Um, as always, I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions for the pod, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I am Kyle Matowski, a senior software developer here at Stack Overflow. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at KyleMetBTV, and you can also find me on Stack Overflow with user ID 1366033. So I'm Pablo Galindo. I am a Python core developer, still in council member at Renlist Manager. I was at Bloomberg in the Python infrastructure team, and you can find me online uh, on Twitter mainly or GitHub uh, with the username Pablo G. Sal. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.